0: Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to be reading verses 16 through 32 as our text this morning. In a moment, I'll give you some context for this passage, but let's just begin by reading what the Lord says. Jeremiah 23, verses 16 through 32. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, The storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who have my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declare the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who used their tongue and declared, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy, lie, dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit to be our instructor, to teach us your word, to enable us to grasp your message during this time in history, and then how the word would instruct us and correct us and reprove us and train us in righteousness so that we may be equipped for the law, for the word, for the work that you've called us to. We pray for the sanctifying grace of your word, that we may prove to be salt and light to this generation. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. As I said earlier, this month uh, celebrates the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the church door at Wittenberg Castle. Um, We mark this day as the beginning of the recovery of the gospel and the reforming of both biblical doctrine and the church. Now, within 100 years, the Protestant movement could look back and see that God had fashioned and fostered this true revival around five gospel themes, which are always necessary for reviving and reforming the people of God and for reforming the church. There are five Sundays in this month. And so we'll speak to each one of these themes during this month. These themes are nicknamed the five solas from the Latin meaning alone because the Latin expression describes what these five themes are. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, Grace alone. Sola Fide, Faith alone. Solus Christus, Christus. Christ alone, and solely deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Today we begin with Scripture alone. To do this, let's think about an event which took place about four years after the Reformation began. Uh, took place in a place called Worms, Germany. Worm, Worm, Germany. And... It was called the Diet of Worms. Now, it looks like in the English the Diet of Worms. A bit confusing if you're not familiar with Reformation history and a little bit of German to think that maybe this was some terrible thing which people had to eat back in those days. No, a Diet was an assembly called at this particular point by the Charles V, who was the Holy Roman Emperor. It was a secular assembly, but the unique thing about it was it was to decide an ecclesiastical issue. Uh, The Diet summoned Martin Luther. He had been a Roman Catholic Augustinian monk. He had been a university professor. He was to appear to to be tried on charges of heresy. Luther arrived on the 16th of April. He first appeared before the assembly on the 17th, where the 25 titles of books that the assembly wanted him to recant were read. And Luther was called upon to reject these writings in total, as heretical, as damaging to the church. Luther asked for more time in order to be be able to give a proper response to this question. The next day he showed up. Here was Luther's reply. He said these books were of three sorts, and so they needed to be considered as three different categories. The first category he could not reject because these were books that even his enemies found to be acceptable. The second sort he couldn't reject either, because these were the books that denounced the desolation of the Christian world by the evil lies and teachings of the papists. To deny these books would be to continue to promote uh, tyranny and heresy. His third class of books attacked particular individuals. He apologized for being somewhat caustic and perhaps harsh in his expressions, But he could not deny these works either. His defense of his works constantly returned to one theme in terms of his defense before the assembly. If anyone could show from the scripture that there were errors in his books, then he would recant. Now at the finale of his examination, he was asked once again, Do you, Martin Luther, do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors which they contain? And to this Luther replied, Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scripture and plain reason, for I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted one another. I am bound by the scriptures. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Now, at its conclusion, the Diet which continued for several more weeks, Uh, Charles V, through his secular authority and power, declared Luther to be a heretic of the church. A short time later, uh, the Pope had him excommunicated. Luther and his followers were now officially declared to be condemned and heretical. But ultimately, the whole issue turned on one principle, What is the ultimate and final authority in the church? The Roman Catholic Church said that ultimate authority is found in its popes and in its councils and its traditions. It's ultimately the church that has the ultimate authority over Christian faith and Christian practice. Luther said it was the word of God. And this is the foundational principle of the Protestant Reformation. This is the huge issue that separates all of Protestantism, true Protestantism, from all other branches of Christianity. 120 years later, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, this principle of Scripture alone was stated this way. The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils." opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scriptures. This is sola scriptura. Scripture as the very Word of God, Scripture as the voice of God Himself with the final authority over all aspects of the Christian faith and Christian life. Now, the reason we're looking at this Old Testament passage is there is an essential parallel between what was going on in Jeremiah's day and what was going on between Martin Luther and the Roman Catholic Church. In Jeremiah's day, the historic context was the great crisis facing the nation of Judah. The Babylonian armies were continually threatened to conquer the nation, to take the people into exile. But this Crisis brings about a great spiritual struggle and debate. On the one side are the prophets and the priests who claim to speak for God. They've been prophesying deliverance. They've been saying to the people of God that God will deliver the nation. Nebuchadnezzar will not take the people into exile. On the other side is Jeremiah who's been prophesying judgment telling the people, declaring to the people that exile is certain. But just like the Deity of Worms, the, the struggle here isn't man versus man. Rather, the issue is truly the word of man versus the word of God. This is what is at stake. It is God who in this time through the prophet Jeremiah, it is God who undertakes to declare His word against and above all others. It is His word against those who adulterate His word. It is His word against those who replace the wisdom of God with the pretensions of men. And all throughout this message, we read God's prosecution of His claim against these false prophets. Now this claim that God consistently makes is going to interweave in an intricate fashion, three primary themes. The nature of God's Word as truth, the purpose of God's Word as performative of His will, and the authority of God's Word as ultimate and final. All three themes establish God's Word as against and above all the so-called wisdom of men. Now, in the first place, the nature of the Word of God, that God's Word is truth. God's Word is not the Word of man. Now, we see this in this chapter in verses 16 and 17. Listen to what God says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes, They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Note also verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened. Now, God's defense of his word as truth involves three particular ideas that we see here. The first is this. The source of what the prophets say, these false prophets say, is not, quote, the mouth of the Lord, unquote, but visions which come from their own minds. Now, this phrase, the mouth of the Lord, is of decisive importance. The background for this phrase, the mouth of the Lord, we find in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first three verses. Listen to what Moses has to say. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, "...testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." Moses declares that God's mouth has spoken. Moses had written these words down. The written word of God was, in fact, the voice of God coming from his mouth. Whenever we read the written word or whenever we hear the words of a true prophet, as we could have in Jeremiah's day, if we listened to Jeremiah, God's mouth has been opened and God's mouth has spoken. The words of Scripture or the words of true prophets are, in fact, God's own words. They are His mouth speaking. Now, it's this concept that we find the Apostle Paul uh, presenting in the New Testament to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And there the Apostle says, All Scripture is God-breathed, or all Scripture is breathed out by God. Just as we breathe out when we form human words, so the written word is God breathing out and forming His truth. It is thereby His word, His truth, that we find in the true prophets, which we find in the written scripture. But this is not the case with the false prophets. They do not mouth the word of God. Second point. God says... Nevertheless, they do have a very receptive audience. Verse 17 tells us that the false prophets continually spoke to those who despised the Word of God, people who stubbornly followed the ways of their own hearts. Uh, the false prophets gave their audience the message which they wanted. It was a message suited to their times, accommodating to the culture. It did not address sin there was no call to repent, no call to return to the Lord, no word of judgment that was to come upon them in terms of what they spoke. Which should remind us, the size of the audience does not determine the truth of the message. God's third point. These prophets lacked the necessary qualifications to be speaking His word. Verse 18. God is saying that none of them had ever stood in his counsel to see or to hear his word or to pay attention or to listen. They were not among those that God had spoken to. Therefore, nothing they said had ever come from God's mouth. What they spoke were lies and fabrications of their own heart. Pure pretensions. So God declares the nature of his word. It is not the word of fallible men. His word comes from His mouth, whether in words of the true prophet or in the words of the scriptures written. It is God speaking. It is God's own word. It is God's own truth. Now, the second theme that we find here is the purpose of God's word. Now, listen carefully to this. The word of God, in terms of its purpose, is performative of His will. When God speaks, He doesn't simply declare His will. When God speaks, He doesn't simply command how we're supposed to obey Him. God's Word actually performs and causes His will to happen. Now the power and purpose of God's will in this sense is presented in verse 22. God says that if these men had been true prophets, if they had stood in His counsel they would have proclaimed his word to his people and god's people would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil deeds in other words they had they would have repented unto god in order to live godly lives before god in worship and service the purpose of god's word is performative with reference to the fallen human condition god's word changes God's Word transforms sinful human beings into those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now this is what the prophet Isaiah declared, Isaiah 55, verse 11, where the very context is a context of repentance. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have compassion upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then you drop down to verse 11, where God says, So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, his mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Expressing the same truth, based upon the same conviction that God's word is performative Jesus prayed this way Father sanctify them by the truth your word is truth and Paul described this performative power of the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 2 chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 when he said to Timothy but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying this is that God's Word is His primary means of grace. The purpose of God's Word is to be a means of grace in the hands of the Holy Spirit to change human lives. And so this is why David wrote in Psalm 19 that the words and commands of God would revive human souls. Make wise the simple. Rejoice the heart of believers. Enlighten their eyes in the things of God. And warn them against sin and temptation. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. It guides us into all truth. It makes us wiser than our enemies. It guards us and it guides us against all the errors and sins of the world. It is what Christ uses to sanctify His bride, the church, cleansing her by the washing of water with the Word. That the false prophets that God contended with had been true prophets, if they had actually stood in His counsel, then the words they would have given would have brought about the repentance of the hearts of the people of Judea, repentant hearts and new life. The purpose of the Word of God is not only to state His will, it's not only to state His commands, but it is also to perform the things He ordains the Word to do. The third theme, where God prosecutes His Word against the Word of men is that God's Word is the ultimate and final authority of God. God's Word is above all the wisdom and words of men and against the pretensions of men who make false claims to speak for God. Look at verses 25 to 32 again. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declares, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they did not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Now in these words... We have the nature of God's word. We have the purposeful power of God's word combined to declare the ultimate and unique authority of God's word. On the one hand, the words of men who claim to speak for God are false, empty, and deceptive. God says, what has straw? Uh, Another translation, what has chaff? to do with wheat. There's nothing in common. Man's word is like chaff which the wind drives away. But God's word, is it not like fire, God declares? Nothing can stand against the word of God. It has an all-consuming power. Its authority is supreme over everything. Let all the earth fear the Lord, the psalmist says. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For God spoke, and it came to be. God commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His hearts continue and endure to all generations. And the Lord has declared that His word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The truth of God's Word, the purpose of God's Word, exalts the ultimate authority of God's Word. The Word of God is like a hammer that smashes the pretensions and false wisdom of men. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Second Corinthians chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Paul's divinely powerful weapons were the truths of the living God, the truth of Holy Scripture, focused, and the final and ultimate revelation of God in Christ. And this is what the Reformation ultimately is all about. The Roman church was filled with speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And God raised up His Word. And men who had faithfully proclaimed that Word against and above all others who adulterated His Word against those who would replace the wisdom of God with the pretensions of men. For it is in the Word of God that we find Christ, the glory and revelation of God. It is Jesus who said to the Jews, You search the Scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life. But it is these which bear witness of me. And this is why the principle of Sola Scriptura is the first and most foundational principle for the Reformation and change and continued Reformation of the Church of the Living God. Because it is in God's Word, in God's Word alone, that we find the faithful and infallible truth concerning God's Son. Let's pray. Our Father, we would thank you and praise you for all that you have done in giving to sinful human beings your infallible truth, your infallible word, to be that which would transform and change our lives and be that ultimate authority that we can look to as entirely trustworthy, for all things that pertain to life and godliness in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we would pray that we would be those who would live in accordance with your Word, that we would take your Word seriously, that your Word would be our meditation night and day, that we would delight in your Word, that we would know that your Word is what Christ uses to wash us and to cleanse us and to conform us to His own image. We would know that it's Your Word which transforms our minds so that we would no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed, that we can test and approve what Your will is, what is good and acceptable and pleasing, and that we would know that You have exalted above all things Your name and Your Word. O Lord, enable us by Your grace to live this way under the Lordship of Christ as He speaks to us through His authoritative Word. Amen.